0: Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part three of Drop Acid by Dr. David Perlmutter. This is the final episode in the series. And in this episode, I discuss the acid dropping power of five key supplements, CGM technology, and also time-restricted eating. So to begin with the five acid-lowering supplements. The first he talk to, talks about is cresetin. Crocetin is an, um, an important dietary polyphenol, a family of micronutrients, that includes the flavonoids, which have potent antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects, as well as antipathogenic properties. It's the pigment that gives color to a lot of the fruits and vegetables that you eat, and it's found in fruits and vegetables like apples, berries, onions, cherry tomatoes, and broccoli. In lab mice models that have been engineered to mimic signs of Alzheimer's disease, Cercetin has been proven to reduce the adverse buildup of plaque proteins associated with the disease, those amyloid beta 2 or amyloid beta 42 and tau proteins that I talk about all the time. It's also been shown to inhibit advanced glycation end product, which builds up not only in the brain but also in your arteries, in your nerves, in your kidneys to cause a lot of problems. The main way Cercetin has its effect on lowering uric acid is through inhibition of the xanthine oxidase enzyme. Now, xanthine oxidase is one of the enzymes that helps convert those purines to the final breakdown of uric acid, and just like allopurinol, it's inhibiting that enzyme. Anything that can inhibit this enzyme will reduce production of uric acid. And in a prominent 2016 study of healthy adults whose uric acid levels were high, but still within the normal range, a month of daily crocetin, which was 500 milligrams per dose, resulted in significant lowered levels of uric acid. So he recommends taking about 500 milligrams of chrysidin as well. And remember, chrysidin is also a powerful senolytic. It's, there's still some debate, but chrysidin also has other benefits as well, like getting rid of you know senescent cells, uh, along with this uric acid lowering effect. The second supplement he recommends is luteolin. Like chrysidin, luteolin owes its acid-lowering powers to its ability to inhibit xanthine oxidase. It has also been shown to prevent dysfunction of beta cells in the pancreas. This flavonoid is naturally concentrated in fruits and vegetables, especially green peppers, celery, citrus fruits, and broccoli. Herbs like thyme, peppermint, rosemary, oregano, these all contain luteolin as well. It has anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties, and shows signs in animal studies of conferring, cardioprotective, and neuroprotective benefits. So he recommends taking about 100 milligrams per day of luteolin. DHA is the next supplement that he recommends. DHA is one of the essential omega-3 fatty acids, the other being EPA, so EPA, DHA. DHA helps reduce inflammation in the brain through the, and the body, and it appears to also increase BDNF, which I talked about earlier. It also fights inflammation in the gut caused by a poor diet. In chapter 4, which was in, what I talked about in the previous episodes, he mentioned a 2017 study conducted by UCLA scientists about fructose's damaging effect in the brain through the lens of uric acid uh, participation. This team of researchers also found that DHA, this, this omega-3 supplement that I've been talking about, can help offset those negative side effects caused by uric acid. And these 2017 researchers called DHA the ultimate fructose-fighting fatty acid. DHA also plays an important role in regulating other things as well, like your vascular endothelial cell function. The next kind of supplement he recommends is vitamin C. Vitamin C, as you know, is one of the antioxidant vitamins in the treatment and management of gout vitamin c is frequently hailed as a hero and this is for good reason a number of studies show that vitamin c's uric acid lowering powers are enough to help protect even uh people who who are susceptible to gout flares and in a rigorous meta-analysis conducted by scientists at Johns hopkins they synthesized a random randomized control trial and found and they found that um the results were really unanimous. The vitamin C supplement significantly lowered serum uric acid levels and the way it did this really was through helping with the excretion. So uric when vitamin C when you take in vitamin C, it helps with the excretion of uric acid and it also has been shown to reduce the reabsorption of uric acid in the kidney. So you're excreting more and you're absorbing less in the kidney because you know vitamin C is this powerful antioxidant. And it reduces damage to tissues that would have eventually had more uric acid production. So that's, uh, he recommends 500 milligrams a day of vitamin C. The next supplement he recommends is chlorella. Chlorella, in a 2017 study that used chlorella to treat patients with NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, researchers found remarkable differences between people taking chlorella versus those on the placebo after eight weeks. In addition to recording drops in fasting glucose, inflammatory markers, and uric acid, and in addition to signs of improved liver function in patients who receive chlorella, the chlorella group experienced meaningful weight loss. So we're seeing this vast variety of effects from people taking chlorella. He recommends taking about 1,200 milligrams of this chlorella a day. Now to move on to, so those are the five, again, supplements that he recommends. Chlorella, vitamin C, DHA, luteolin, and crocetin. So those are the five supplements he recommends. The next section he talks about glucose. All about glucose monitoring, glucose continuous glucose monitors, and the importance of maintaining good glucose uh, variability. We all know high hyperglycemia or high glucose in the blood is very bad for us for many reasons. He does a rundown of why glucose spikes. And high glucose are so bad for you. The first and obvious one is the cause of one of the main causes of inflammation. So chronic high blood sugar triggers infl- inflammatory pathways from the release of like inflammatory molecules and increasing in inflammatory gene expression. And this typically follows, you know, it follows in sync with high blood sugar as excess glucose becomes fat. And we know that excess fat, particularly on the waist, promotes immune cell activation these immune cells are secreting inflammatory cytokines, etc. The second problem with high amounts of glucose in our blood is the glycation. So I, I just mentioned advanced glycation end product. These are the glucose molecules that are sticking onto proteins in different parts of your body. So it'll stick to proteins in your in your brain, it'll stick to proteins in your kidneys, and eventually these advanced glycation end products become you know, very pathogenic to you. So a lot of the Problems that diabetics face, the neuropathy, the nephropathy, they all come from the advanced glycation and inflammation that are occurring in the body. So again, another important reason to keep your glucose levels low. Again, oxidative stress, high glucose, has long been implicated in the generation of excessive free radicals. And such a state may impair nitric oxide signaling. I talked about this before. Finally, excess glucose can causes the oxidation of LDL. So this causes a you know, a plaque buildup in our arteries, a atherosclerotic picture in our arteries, which is not good. High glucose is also causing mitochondrial dysfunction. It's causing changes in gene expression. So experiments in which fasting blood sugars have been acutely elevated has been shown to modify the expression of hundreds of genes in a wide variety of cellular processes, everything from energy metabolism all the way to our immune response. So the point is, we don't want hyperglycemia. We don't want these huge spikes and falls of our glucose because this is, again, leading to all these problems that I just listed. There are ways you can actually monitor your glucose through a continuous glucose monitor. And he mentions a couple companies here. He mentions levels. So if you go to levels, you can check out into purchasing a CGM. He sits on the board, so he was kind of like advertising the use of CGMs, but I recommend a CGM, whether it's from Levels. There's another company called NutriSense that has continuous glucose monitors. I recommend you looking into these CGMs just to, just to really know how exactly is your circadian biology, how exactly are the foods you're eating affecting your blood sugar? Because the more you can control your glycemic variability, the more you can control your glycemic excursion, the better your health outcomes will, will be. And he he kind of goes on to explain here that it's thought that excessive peaks and dips in glucose can lead to tissue damaging metabolic byproducts like free radicals, damage to blood vessels, damage to nervous system, inflammation, activation of stress hormone cascades. so again for this reason it's important to keep your glucose not so high but not so low. You just want a nice normal glycemic picture with not too many spikes uh, because, because again of all the reasons I listed. Now, the, the final thing I want to finish off with is the time-restricted eating. When you eat, is just as important as what you eat. I emphasized this multiple times in The Circadian Code by Dr. Sachin Panda, which was the first book I covered. In this book, Drop Acid, Dr. Perlmutter also mentions D- Dr. Panda as well, and his book. And in the process of exploring how our liver's daily cycle works, Dr. Panda found that mice who ate within a restricted amount of time a period between 8 to 12 hours in duration became slimmer and healthier, and those that eat, who ate an equivalent number of calories within a larger window time. So let me kind of talk about an experiment that he did in just a second. This showed that timing does indeed matter. Confining calorie consumption to an 8 to 12 hour period, just as we did a century ago, helped stave off high cholesterol, diabetes, and obesity. Dr. Panda also discovered that circadian clock even moderates our immune system. Mice that lacked an an essential circadian molecule had higher levels of inflammation than other mice. Additional research about time-restricted eating and metabolism conducted by Dr. Panda and other scientists indicated that limiting your meals to an eight to 12 hour window can improve insulin sensitivity, improve your blood sugar, improve fat metabolism, and again, improve our immune system. Most relevant to our message, it lowers inflammation and helps drop uric acid levels over the long term because of its beneficial effects on weight, management, and also metabolism. So here's the study that he talked about. In 2019, there was a study in University of Alabama at Birmingham that documented time restricted eating's positive effects on improving glucose markers, markers on the circadian clock, aging, and autophagy in humans. A group of overweight adults participated in a randomized crossover study in which they ate between eight a.m. and two p.m. This was the time restricted eating. They compared that to the control arm, which was eight a.m. to eight p.m., so a twelve-hour window. So we're going. So the the study is comp- comparing two groups: a group who ate between eight p- eight a.m. and two p.m. and a group that ate between eight a.m. and eight p.m. So the eight a.m. to 2 p.m. was obviously the time-restricted eating arm of the study. Compared to the control schedule on which participants could eat from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., the time-restricted eating schedule gave participants metabolic rewards in the form of better glucose control, better fat metabolism or more fat metabolism, and expression of genes related to circadian clock and longevity. In their conclusion, the researchers stated that time-restricted eating may also increase autophagy and have anti-aging effects in humans. So again, all more reason to time-restricted eat, all more reason to prolong fast and really, you know, calorie restrict as well. These all help all aspects of your metabolism, not just uric acid, but also improved blood sugar, improved fat metabolism, improved turning on genes like a that'll help with, you know, upregulating glute transporters and increasing fatty acid oxidation, etc., you know, activating autophagy, and so on. So again, all the more reason to time restries to eat um, in a certain window that fits for you. Hopefully, within the six-hour window is what I recommend. So doing like an 18-hour fast, six-hour feeding window. But for now, I want to move forward and just um, finish off with the lowering uric acid dietary protocol. So what are some other pro tips that he recommends? So the first is just to go gluten and GMO-free. Secondly, eat mostly plant-based meals featuring whole acid-dropping fruits and vegetables. Consume no refined carbs, added sugars, or artificial sweeteners. Do not eat any organ meats. Limit servings of purine-heavy meat and fish, especially sardines and anchovies. Eat nuts and seeds. Eat organic eggs. Confine yourself to small amounts of dairy products, if you choose to consume them at all. Be generous with extra virgin olive oil and incorporate acid-lowering offsets, again, like cherries, broccoli sprouts, sprouts, and coffee. And just to mention these, you know, broccoli sprouts and broccoli, he has this section here about the importance of these vegetables, like the, you know, the cruciferous vegetable family. Again, this is broccoli, broccoli sprouts, Brussels sprouts, and others. They contain an important molecule called sulforaphane. If you listen to Dr. Rhonda Patrick, she talks about this all the time. Sulforaphane is one of the most important offsets of elevating uric acid and confers a multitude of benefits for our general health. And it does this via the activation of a pathway called NRF2. NRF2 stands for nuclear factor erythroid 2. This is a class of proteins that induce the expression of certain other genes that are responsible for Anti-inflammation, anti inflammation, uh, anti oxidant processes. And because uric acid does some of its damage by increasing the production of free radicals and inflammation, NRF2 again helps offset all of this. So, several well studied activators of NRF2, again, things like broccoli, broccoli sprouts, coffee, exercise, turmeric, these all help activate the NRF2 pathway and protect our DNA from the free radicals that we, we may be getting from, let's say, elevated uric acid. Now, that's really, he goes on to give you like a weekly plan, and week one, you should eat this, and different dietary edits to help lower, lower uric acid values. It's all very, you know, obvious stuff. If you've listened to the previous two episodes, I give you the basis of what not to do. So if you just do the opposite of that, and then I just gave you practical tips of what you should be eating right now to help lower uric acid values but i I wanted to just finish off with this one uh, comment about uric acid so there's a prominent youtuber his name is dr brad stanfield i highly recommend you look him up on youtube he's a very smart doctor who talks about aging and longevity and he had this video about dr perlmutter's book drop acid and how really there's no association between uric acid and dementia and so and he also argued that uric acid may actually be a antioxidant itself. So uric acid being more of an antioxidant rather than a prooxidant. And again, he's arguing that, you know, there's no real association between uric acid and dementia. So I responded in his comment section that, you know, I, I don't think he read the book, first off. Secondly, you know, because I did read the book, I wrote specifically why dementia and uric acid are somehow correlated. And I put in his book, Dr. Perlmutter argues that uric acid and fructose indirectly cause dementia in Alzheimer's, mainly through insulin resistance in the brain. So insulin resistance again prevents brain cells from receiving the energy they need. Secondly, the way the body metabolizes fructose leads to more uric acid production and depletes ATP, which further sparks inflammation that can reach the brain. Fructose metabolism leads to reduced production of nitric oxide, increasing the risk of atherosclerotic diseases and vascular dementia, while also elevating blood glucose, and increasing insulin resistance. Studies in the brain also showed how fructose reduces synaptic plasticity in the hippocampus and also reduces the growth of new brain cells. So if you listen to my first two episodes, I'm just reiterating what Dr. Perlmutter wrote. These are all the reasons why uric acid and you know sugar and fructose are so bad for us, is because of how, through insulin resistance, we are creating a a sort of inflammation picture, a sort of a dementia picture when we consume this stuff. And I kind of go on to say other studies from UCLA show how fructose consumption reduces neural resilience and may pre- may predispose the brain towards cognitive dysfunction and lifelong susceptibility to neurological disorders. And I, I show how people taking allopurinol or febuxostat, two drugs that help lower uh, um, uric acid, actually improve people's dementia. Anyway, I, I go on to explain this and I get other responses in the comments. And some guy mentioned about, you know, something about what I just mentioned here. And I responded by saying, uh, as you were saying, both Dr. Stanfield and Dr. Perlmutter really need to, so this is my point about uric acid. Both Dr. Stanfield and Dr. Perlmutter need to make the distinction between correlation and causation. Okay, so Dr. Perlmutter is very adamant that uric acid is causing a lot of these things. Both me and Dr. Brad Stanfield are making the argument that uric acid is a correlation between all these things, all these types of metabolic diseases. Do I think that high uric acid levels are causing hypertension, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, cardiovascular disease, etc.? No. No. Do I think there is a correlation between uric acid and all these diseases? Probably. Uric acid is, in my opinion, similar to this chronic inflammation picture. So we do know inflammation is part of the problem, but we're not really sure to what extent it, its effect has on the diseases of aging. In terms of this antioxidant thing, so again, Dr. Brad Stanfield is saying that uric acid is actually a, a antioxidant itself. And I put here that According to Dr. Perlmutter and Dr. Rick Johnson, uric acid may also be causing some oxidative stress and there's a lot of studies if you just look on google showing that uric acid is causing a lot of oxidative stress. According to this book, high uric acid sets off a cascade of biochemical reactions collectively called oxidative stress, which constrict blood vessels, and when there's unrelenting surplus of uric acid, lasting injury and inflammation in the kidneys occur which makes them less able to do their job and help excrete salt, this is of course in relation to hypertension. If we're talking about dementia, he states that elevated uric acid is associated with increased free radical formation, as well as decreased nitric oxide synthesis, which can compromise blood flow, blood flow especially you know, precious blood flow to our brains. Both Dr. Brad Stanfield and Dr. Perlmutter have fair arguments, however, just because a patient comes in with some sort of metabolic disease, that doesn't mean I'm going to go, be, go fishing for uric acid levels and then randomly putting these people on allopurinol or fibuxostat. So this is the point I'm making here. The, the difference between correlation and causation. There's definitely a correlation between uric acid and metabolic diseases like hypertension, diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer. But again, is it directly causing it? Mm, it's hard it's really hard to say but in my opinion it's it's probably not a direct cause so th- this is just something to think about uric acid levels are extremely important to keep low but it's not the end-all be-all there's other factors when it comes to your health span you know you have to you have to integrate not only lowering uric acid but lowering glucose values keeping your blood pressure low you know keep your brain working and functioning so you don't develop alzheimer's you know this kind of stuff it's you have to look at a person holistically, not just, okay, they have high uric acid. I'm going to lower their uric acid and all these problems are going to go away. So that's my two cents on this issue. This is the last episode, again, of the series. I hope you enjoyed this book. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Make sure to leave a review. I answer all my DMs, so feel free to send me a DM. Um, there's a lot of good books coming up, like Dr. Gregor is writing a book called How Not to Age. I'm looking forward to that one. Dr. Peter Peter Atia's book is going to come out soon, next year. David Sinclair is in the process of writing another book. Jason Fung is always coming out with new books. So there's a lot of good books coming out. If you have any recommendations, let me know. I will cover it. Just a quick message. I'll be starting my residency soon. So I'm starting my internal medicine residency and I'm going to be extremely busy. So I don't know how often I'm going to put out these podcasts. But uh, if you haven't listened to my previous ones, I highly recommend you listening to those. Uh, Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in next time for whatever next book I cover. Thanks.